I, th I think we're actually really well positioned because we've got a lot to offer people starting out in their careers. We're offering them a career in an, you know, in an industry which is about looking after the environment, which is about feeding the world, which is about healthy lifestyle. So there's a lot that we can offer. I don't know whether we've done a good enough job of actually letting people see that and understand what the opportunities are and how good those opportunities are. This episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast was recorded on Gadigal People's Country of the Eora Nation, and I'd like to extend my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And I'd like to extend those respects to the traditional owners of the country wherever you may be listening to the podcast. G'day and welcome back to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and as always, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us. Today I'm sitting down with John Harvey. Many people may know him as the Managing Director at AgriFutures, but what many people may not know is actually where John's career in ag started. Like more and more people that are coming to the surface now, John actually grew up in Sydney and then decided that a career in agriculture was the only way that he was going to go. Today, at the helm of AgriFutures since 2016, he's led the growth into new industries and areas and a real focus on innovation, which you can see through the Grow Ag platform, as well as the Evoke Ag events. Well, I was just, I think at the service level, you know of John and you know what he's about, but this chat was awesome just to get to know him, understand where he's come from, what drives him and where he's going. And I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did. John, firstly, um, I'm yeah, excited to have you on the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I was hoping that I'd be seeing you face-to-face -face at Evoke, but unfortunately, uh, it hasn't worked out due to matters out of our control again. So welcome. Yeah, no, thank you very much. And it's a real pleasure to be here. And thanks for the invite. Really, really looking forward to our conversation. I do just want to, I guess, address what might be the, the elephant in the room, but the, the cancellation of Evoke this year and uh, another year kind of without it, um, uh, yeah, are you pretty disappointed? Because I, I was certainly very excited for it. Yeah, of course we're disappointed. And the team here put a lot, awful lot of effort into preparing last year. And we were actually planning to do one in Perth and one in Sydney this year. And both of those eventually ended up being cancelled for very good reasons. There, it wasn't a hard decision to make, yeah. but it was um, a very disappointing one to have to make. Um, so... Um, but that's that's happened and that's bygone to bygones. Uh, we're all totally focused now on Adelaide in 23. And I think we will be right. We will get it together this time. I think things are looking a lot more optimistic. And I think by the time we get to February 23 in Adelaide, I think people will be ready to go. So it should be fantastic. Absolutely. And, and I think what's going to be so fascinating is beyond kind of just the tech as well, it's like you actually look at, the discussions and, and what's happening in Australia now. You've got the flooding and supply chain disruptions to the north, and then we've got yeah everything relating to COVID. It's going to be some really interesting insights and conversations about food and, and ag in Australia. Oh, absolutely! Like it is, I mean, it's phenomenal the amount of disruption occurring at the moment. You know, some obviously around COVID, but I'm you know thirty years we've never seen um, we've never seen supermarket shelves without produce on them and we've seen a bit of that in the last couple of years and it's quite confronting I think for people in the city to see that and suddenly start thinking about well how could that be 
And why is that so? And those questions are really important for agriculture, that people are asking those questions and realising just how important agriculture is to everybody's existence. But you, you look further north and you look at what's happening geopolitically with the changes in the, in the relationship between Australia and China. And 70% of our exports total, not, not just agriculture, but broadly, are going into China. And there's some doubt and um, difficulties in that relationship at the moment, which I think are quite confronting. And then, of course, you've got things like climate change and potentially carbon input taxes in Europe. Um, you know, you could look at it and say, well, it's, a, it's quite an uncertain time, you know, workforce challenges. And, but we all know that it's in those uncertain times that we've also got these incredible opportunities. For so, sure. So what an exciting time. What an exciting time to be an agriculture. Absolutely. And, and I think it's a conversation starter too, isn't it? So, well, yes, there is. It, it is confronting the supermarket shelves, but it, what a, I know George the Farmer, for instance, it's actually starting that conversation about, food and, and it doesn't necessarily just come from the supermarket it it is a whole bunch of people and a whole whole supply chain sitting behind that and for the first time in a very long time it, people are seeing kind of just how closely connected we are to ag uh, even though it's not around us every day yeah that's right and how important ag is to them uh so no look i'm 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 actually void but i'm pleased that those conversations are having and that complacency and that taking um, farmers for granted is disappearing. It's great. Yeah, it is very exciting. I do, I do want to know because a bit like myself, but you're you're a boy from Sydney. So how how did you get involved in agriculture and where the interest come from? Yeah, it's a good, it's an interesting question. I'm sure a lot of people are um, in my generation are the same. But so we were in Sydney, and I left Sydney when I was 17. But all of our holidays when we were kids growing up were on the family farm up at Byron Bay at a little place called Ewingsdale, just out of Byron Bay. So if you think about it, all of your holidays up on a farm and the different experiences you have on it, and it was an old dairy farm, you know, and climbing old big trees and, you know, balancing on the bales, the old bales. Um, they're fabulous memories. And uh, from a very young age, I said I wanted to go farming. Um, and it was only later that I got interested in science. But for, for my generation, everyone had a cousin, had a, you know, grandparents or had relations on my on the land and so there was that strong connection and those good times at holidays are the things that sort of you know you're looking at your future so well i'd like to replicate that and from there um yeah i ended up um carving out a career in agriculture it's uh yeah it is very exciting similar to me i think where you it was just fortunate to have uncles and aunties on farm and it was the chance to nearly run away i, I guess i kind of felt like a border a bit um spending yeah during the school term, I was in Sydney, and then as soon as the, the term rolled around, I was able to escape and yeah, be a farm kid. It was pretty exciting. Yeah. So that so the same thing happened to my brothers. They all ended up involved somehow in agriculture. So similar um, experience. Yeah. There you go. Tell yeah. tell me. So you headed off to UNE and you studied ag science. There was it was it to lead back into farming, or did you think this yeah the the science and, and research side was going to be your calling? So when I, when I was in high school, I got an interest in science. And um, uh, before that, it was just farming. But in high school, it was, oh, science is pretty interesting too. Um, never call myself a scientist. Uh, when I went through UNE, it was always, well, how can you, how can you apply the science? How can, you, how can you help farmers be better farmers with science? Um, so my early part of my career after um, 
Armadale was as an extension officer up in Queensland, working directly with farmers on, on things like, which seem very old now, but um, establishing things like no-till farming up in the Darling Downs. Yeah, lovely part of it, uh, the world. I, I did say that um, on one of your buyers, it did say soil conservationist. As yeah. on your, which is an interesting kind of job job role, I think, when people yeah, saying that they, their, their role in ag is around conservation. It does make sense, but there's not many, I don't think, talking that way, is it? Yeah, so my first job was soil conservationist, and we, I spent two years helping farmers lay out condor banks, mark out condor banks and help them build condor banks and well, and then looking at farming practices and maintaining stubble on the soil. It was fascinating to watch because by the end of that adoption of no-till on the downs, the need for condor banks had almost disappeared. It had such an impact on holding the soil and reducing the runoff and the wash um, that the condor banks, the importance of condor banks actually diminished in a lot of the country there because of the change in the farming practice. Do you still uh, pinch yourself at just how far kind of the farming practices and, and where we're at now? Every day, every day, every day. I remember it's looking back, it's funny, but looking back, because this is mid-80s, and looking back and farmers up on the, you know, Gundawindi area, they'd, they'd plough up the country three, four, five times before they'd plant, and you had to. There was, no, there was no thought you could do it any other way. And I remember seeing the first 1,000 acres that was planted no-till and just everybody gawking at it and saying, well, that's never going to bloody work. <laughs> and then, you know, you look now and that's how most of Australia, most of the world grows their crops. It's, it's, it is pretty amazing to see. Absolutely. Do you reckon that, uh, like just picking up there, that the, the kind of doubt that there was for the very early adopters around them, there's no possible way that it was going to work. Do you think they've still got kind of uh, quite a bit of that pessimism, I guess, in terms of when we see new things coming in? Um as a, as, an, as a sector or new practices as such? Oh, I think I think it's a very human, natural, normal reaction. Yeah. Because when you get familiar and then, and I think it's one of the challenges of, um, and it's, it's why we need people that, are, that have got curiosity and are willing to take a bit of risk and have a go and get their fingers burnt and uh, come back again. And, it, you know, it's, in some ways it's very similar to the experience I think people have the go into careers in startups. You know, we you know with startups, what one in five succeeds. You know, you'd like to have four or five failures before you have that successful one. Yeah, and no. uh, but it's that resilience and that ability to know that it's going to happen and know that you'll recover and know that you'll you'll get there eventually. I think, which is um, pretty exhilarating. Yeah, absolutely. And and so. The- from there, working for the Queensland Department of Ag, you then headed off working for the Grains and Research Development Corp, which was a, was home for a long while. Yeah, it was. So that really was, I, when I was up there, I moved into a role managing research in the department in Grains. And like a lot of people, I spent a lot of time trying to get money out of GRDC. And <laughs> then I thought one day, well, maybe it's easier the other way around. Maybe I'll go and join GRDC and, give, and be involved in giving the money out rather than asking for it. And uh, I remember talking to my wife and saying, well, you know, let's try Canberra for three years and um, then we'll come back. And 19 years later, we're still in Canberra. So, um, yeah, it was a bit longer than we had planned. <laughs> Does that um, that moving pace, was it kind of always, it, yeah, that something that you were just willing to do if a, a better opportunity came up, you'd just pack up shop and, and head? 
Um, it's, I don't think it's quite as, no, no, not really. I think it's much more, um, uh, it is a really challenging thing to, to do, to pick up stumps and, and move. And it's challenging individually, but challenging for everyone in the family, I think, to do that. Um, so um, it's not something I recommend lightly. But, but having said that, when we moved, when I left GRDC, we moved to Wagga. And um, I have to say, even though we're in Canberra for 19 years and had a fabulous time and great experiences, met fabulous people, it did feel a bit like coming home, coming to Wagga, moving back to a small country town. Yeah, I bet. Because when you were with um, your Queensland department, whereabouts were you based for them? Uh, Warwick, then Gundawindi, Emerald in central Queensland, and then seven years in Kingaroy. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, proper small towns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, Canberra, when it's not a sitting week, seems to be a bit of just a, a quiet country town as well. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really interesting dynamic some i've had people just say it's a bit like a university city in the u.s um i remember when we first went down there i mean everyone seemed to have a phd and and i didn't have a phd and jen doesn't have a phd but but it seemed like everybody was incredibly qualified and articulate and what have you and intellectual and but on the other hand it had a little bit of an artificial feel about it there's something not quite right there's no main street and there was no billboards um, and it's just, it just felt, it did take a bit of getting used to the, um, the culture and the environment. Um, but fabulous schools, fabulous sport, unbelievable facilities, easy to live in, great to get around. Um, so lots of, lots of positives. Yeah. And that coming, coming across, so you ended up um, leading the GRDC. Was, was there something about this, the rural and development space, which really kind of just captured you in and, and held you in there? It always has. And for me, um, innovation, R&D, whatever, extension, it's all, about, it's all about having the ideas, the things that are going to make Australian agriculture better. It's an optimistic space to have your career. It's very satisfying, very rewarding. You, you're working with lots of great people and you're working with ideas. So it's an exhilarating environment to work with. I've no regrets at all about having had a career in agricultural innovation. Have you got a kind of key project or key initiative as such, which you kind of, yeah, hang your hat on as being a real um, kind of defining moment for you or, or maybe on the other side of a really key challenge as well, which has um, then set you up? Uh, um, so there's probably been a few. Um, there's probably been a few. I mean, early on I was working in NOTO. That was really exciting. And it was really the practical things about just getting a plant to go through stubble. You know, very simple things. How do you get a how do you get a point to go through a whole of the stubble without clogging up? So, you know, like it wasn't the complicated stuff. That was the simple what would you think was simple, which was the things that needed to be solved. So that was quite exhilarating. Yeah. Um, in GRDC, I think the challenge for me was always doing great research, but how do you get how do you actually have impact? How do you get farmers to actually change a practice? What is the practice change that's going to create value for them? which I always, that was the bit that I enjoyed and really, I always, you know, for me it was if a farmer doesn't do something different, then your investment in R&D is a waste of time. Yep. You're at zero. So how do you do your research in a way such that you're confident that you're doing the right research and it's research that can be taken up by farmers? And, and the answer to that's really simple. You get farmers involved right from the start 
can identify the issues and also in the research itself. Like if you can do that, you're probably pretty safe. Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank, and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported. Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low-cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more. And was that something that, yeah, was a light bulb moment at some stage that really kind of twigged for you or was it kind of just natural being in those communities that that's how it operates? Uh, so not a light bulb moment, but more observing what was working. And uh, in the 90s, and you, there, was a, there was a growth in grower groups right across the whole of Australia, um, cropping groups um, grew. And, and you could see they were really effective, effective at getting farmers involved in research and ensuring that the right research was being done in their areas for them and trialling technologies. And, you know, there's nothing better than a group of growers looking at a new technology and pulling it to bits or trying trying aspects of it on their farm and sharing ideas and having the arguments and, the, you know, the beers and whatever afterwards um, to get adoption and to create that, um, that um, shared experience around the innovation um, there's a lot of risk when you try something new and if you're out there on your own doing something stupid and it's on the main road and everybody sees it, you feel like a bloody idiot. Yeah. Um, but if you can do it with a grower group and you can say, let's be idiots together um, and we'll just blame each other if it doesn't work, is sometimes a safer way, I think, to get involved in, that, in uh, some of this research. Bring bring the humour into it. Uh, I know. I think anything near a, near a main road or, or where others might see it can be pretty confronting. A bit of a worry. So, <laughs> especially if it doesn't work. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And so, so you then came across to AgriFutures. That obviously was a, a big move, leaving Canberra um, to to move towns, but also leaving an organisation. Was there? Did you feel like yeah, you'd kind of started to hit the the heights of what you were able to do in GRDC and it was time for a change or what was yeah the the instigator yeah so um look GRDC was fantastic uh, I enjoyed every moment I feel incredibly privileged for the time I, I had there um so um but for me the move what excited me about moving to what was then called Rural Industries Research Development Corporation was the fact that it was relocating from Canberra to Wagga Wagga, and um, it for it felt like me there were, to me there was an opportunity to refresh an RDC because you know obviously it's going to be very difficult for people for the staff to move like a lot of people you know you've, they've got kids in school spouses yeah. in careers you know aging dependent parents what have you there's a whole lot of reasons why it's difficult for people to move and I, I thought it was very unlikely that people would be able to come over to Wagga, all of them anyway. And so I, my, my thought was, you know, what a great opportunity to uh, refresh an RDC, to create a culture from scratch and create a new direction and, and have a look at how we might be able to do research slightly differently. 
Um, so that was the that was sort of the opportunity as I saw it, and um, it was also nice. And I mean, my whole career has been in grain up until that point, grain or cropping of some form, and 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 it was also really exciting to be able to be involved in a whole lot of other sectors like we in agri futures we look at we've got 13 levied industries you know things like chicken meat and honeybees and rice and export fodder thoroughbreds and i won't go through the whole list but very diverse industries yeah. and we also invest in 40 emerging industries you know truffles hazelnuts um, um marin um, seaweed so that was also quite attractive uh, i guess the other thing was we do quite a bit of research in uh, issues that go across the whole of agriculture and looking at what are the things coming that are likely to be opportunities or challenges. And, um, and that's, I guess, where we also got interested in what's, ha what's happening in the agri-food tech space, what's happening in the technology that could impact the whole of agriculture. So um, that was sort of the motivator. And, um, yeah, look, I've, I've, again, I've been incredibly fortunate. I've loved every moment of being in agri-futures. Yeah, it's incredibly exciting. There's, well, I think we've got three different tangents we can run off. But the first one um, I, I do want to talk to you is around that building a culture and, and building people within um, what was then um, rural industries. But yeah, how did you go setting about that, being the new managing director and CEO um, of the organisation, but also with what can be yeah, quite a challenging piece, just nearly potentially starting again with relocating people or building a new team? Well, uh, the first thing I've got to say is I, I had incredible people around me um, to do it with, um, particularly with the, um, the chair of AgriFutures, Mrs. K. Hull, um, huge amount of um, knowledge and leadership and connection and empathy for rural Australia. And, and, and in terms of the people we were able to recruit here in Wagga, and, the, and we have one person that has come over, did come over from Canberra, and, but... In recruiting in Wagga, one of the things that I've really appreciated is everybody here has some connection, some strong connection to a farm. Either they're living on a farm or they're from a farm or they've got siblings on a farm, whatever. So there is a strong emotional connect with our stakeholders, uh, which is great. It's really fabulous to work with. And we're lucky because there's a we've got a really strong purpose in the business like what we're trying to do is good for the world it's good for Australian farmers it's good for the environment you know like it's, it's we're, what we're doing is really important we've got a lot of scope to do that now how we see fit so so creating the so for me the key is really really strong connection with your stakeholder uh, in, our, in our case our levy pairs but also our other stakeholders the people that use our research involved in our research yeah, and I think for, from Wagga, like the, the point of view of Wagga, it can be such a powerhouse because you've got irrigation, you've got um, broadacre cropping, you've got intensive livestock, you've kind of got everything uh, within arm's reach of what is the little hub as well as universities as well. It's a, a pretty impressive little town or big town. Yeah, and every time you step outside, you're reminded of why what you're doing is important. So Yeah, that yeah, for sure. In terms of you touched on kind of some of those key issues and, and challenges that are emerging. Is, is there ones that, um, yeah, kind of come to the fore that you think you guys are really looking at um, addressing or playing a key role in at AgriFutures in terms of, yeah, the, the future of ag, say, in the next 10 years and, and the 2020s being a really pivotal decade in that? 
there's several, uh, um, and I won't, not in any order, but I think maybe the first one to mention is I do think workforce uh, and labour is going to be a key issue for the whole of Australia, but it's going to play out particularly in um, rural industries. Uh, and it's all aspects. It's right from um, backpackers and seasonal workers helping to harvest uh, horticultural crops right through to if we're serious about adopting some of this digital technology and automation and machine learning and sensors and internet of things right through to the sort of skills and new skills that we're going to need to be able to attract into agriculture. So workforce, I think, is a really big issue. Uh, I think that's going to... I, th I think we're actually really well positioned because we've got a lot to offer people starting out in their careers. We're offering them a career in an, you know, in an industry which is about looking after the environment, which is about feeding the world, which is about healthy lifestyle. So there's a lot that we can offer. I don't know whether we've done a good enough job of actually letting people see that and understand what the opportunities are and how good those opportunities are. Um, so, but workforce, I do think, will be something where we need to play really smart and we need to attract um, the, the best of the best and the, um, the right, um, right through the whole of the production system. Um, so that's, I think, a, that's, that's certainly, I think, an, an issue which is going to be very strong over the next five or so years, at least. Uh, and highly competitive, um, but we're well positioned. If we if we can position, if we can tell our story, we're well positioned. I think to attract people. Yeah, um, the absolutely. other, the other, a couple of others. I mean, the other one I think is just the change in the um, geopolitical um, landscape. I think we've just got to keep a close eye on that and find new markets and new uh, new export markets. Uh, the other one I I think just to keep an eye on supply chains and supply chain resilience, both for inputs and outputs. So, for example, you're getting um, access to things like the diesel adjuvant um, AdBlue is really quite tricky at the moment. Um, urea, um, glyphosate, making sure we're really um, playing carefully in that space. <clears throat> um, and then um, the other one is just the new technologies. Like in the last five years, the explosion in new digital technologies. Um, and how that's transforming um, agriculture globally. Huge opportunities for Australian agriculture. I mean, we, we're great at farming. We're good at research. Um, why wouldn't we be the agri-food tech um, hub of the Southern Hemisphere? Why wouldn't we? We should be. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And, and Wagga's probably not a bad place to, to set that up with everything on the doorstep. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> for, um, is that what led to you guys um, yep, leading into a vocag and, and actually establishing that? Was that, that yeah, that was kind of, it, it made sense and it really started to fit into the, the areas which you guys operate or, yeah, was there um, other factors at play like it, maybe a really keen interest from you and a, and a hard push um, in that tech space? No, when we first came over to, um, to Wagga, we we're, were looking for... Looking for, you know, looking for a point of differentiation, looking at what we could do differently. Well, I was looking for what's that unique difference? What could we do that others weren't doing or didn't want to do? And I don't know how this happened, but we, well, I know how it happened. Um, we had a workshop down in um, Albury, and this would have been back in probably 2017. And we invited, um, we had, a, we invited 100 
emerging leaders, 28 to 35 year olds, into that workshop. We had about 200 people apply. We ended up accepting 100 because we couldn't fit any more in. And we had over two and a half days, we had a conversation about agriculture and it just blew me away how much passion there was in the generation coming through for agriculture. Um, and the other thing was that also really just amazed me was, you know, 70% of the audience was female. Um, most of them, their role model, the role models that they espoused to were different to the ones that probably I grew up with, much more your, you know, your startup, your unicorn, your Elon Musk's of the world. Um, and but passionate about making a difference, not not joining the traditional organisation, self-organising around issues and opportunities, and and but in that in those in that conversation, we followed it up with a series of workshops across Australia. But what came out of that was about fifty percent of the people in that age group we talked to said they wanted to be involved in ag tech, either as a founder or as an investor or as a customer. And I hadn't realised just how much passion there was. And so we built on the back of that, and I ended up travelling. I, I mean, I had the great fortune of going to the US twice, to um, UK, Israel, Singapore, New Zealand. And, and what I saw over there just blew me away in terms of just how fast the whole ag food tech space was evolving and the interest and the investment from the private sector that was going into it. And really, I, it, coming back from that, it was it was almost like, well, what do we do? How do we how do we make a difference? And we, we dabbled with investing in a startup and really quite quickly realised we're not really a venture capital fund. That's not our not really our role, but where we thought we could play a, a significant role was just bringing the players together. There was lots of little events and activities across Australia, but there was not, and most of the same people were going to them. We thought, well, we need to make something at scale here and we need to make sure we get the international players coming. So we ended up with, to the first two, we ended up with nine trade missions from around the world coming to Evoke A. And that, for me, was really critical to share their experiences and ideas and also to put us on the map. Yeah. And what was the response from that? Do you think, were they looking at coming from the outside into Australia? Were they surprised um, with where we're at? and or, or were they actually looking at it and being like, oh, wow, we've got technology which we can really bring into the sector as well? Yeah, they were they were incredibly enthusiastic, and I thought it would be a huge, uh, and it was a big task. And I've got to give a fair bit of credit to Austrade; they were fabulous in terms of helping to organise some of these trade missions. But they were they were a combination of genuinely interested in what we're doing, genuinely knowledgeable about about us as a nation being good at agriculture and research. So that seemed to be a good prerequisite. And then there was a good dose of just curiosity. What it was, what is happening in Australia and New Zealand? Let's go and have a look. I think also there was a bit of a sense for some of them, like we've, we've, we've probably, we probably picked all the good ideas out of the US and some of the other places. And they were certainly looking for something different, something new um, when they came down to Australia for the first, for those two years we were able to run if okay. Yeah, cool. Well, I, I know um, there's certainly been quite a few startups who have really been put on the map because of the event, but even people like um, Andrew Bate of Swarm Farm, who I'm looking forward to chatting to hopefully soon, but people like him who have been working on robots and, and autonomous vehicles since like the mid mid to, to late uh, 2000s. It's, it's incredible that's kind of what's out there, but it really took an, the event to 
yeah, get people together and actually be like, oh, wow, this is the innovation that's happening out there in rural Australia. Yeah. No, it, look, it achieved what we, it achieved exactly what we're hoping it would achieve. I couldn't have been, I couldn't be more proud of the team and, and what they put together. Uh, and the quality of the speakers that we're able to attract and their messages uh, and their insights were really, no, the, con- the content was fabulous. And that's really important for us is that it's not just, a, you know, like it's not just a festival. It's actually, um, it's about ideas. It's about possibilities. It's about new technologies. So that, that thought leadership is critical um, in, in the concept. Is, is there one area startup, uh, maybe not one startup, but one area yeah, in particular that, um, has, has sparked your interest or kind of caught you by surprise over the last little while that you're pretty excited about? You know, so sometimes it's the simplest ones that really blow you away. So we had an involvement in a little tiny startup that um, all, they, all it was was internet of, internet of Things. So they connected up a sensor. So it was to do with irrigation and sugarcane. And they had a they put a sensor at the bottom of the furrow, the, the irrigation furrow, and they and they put a sensor on the pump. So this is this is basic. So when the water hits the bottom of the furrow, the end of the furrow, it turned the pump off. Yeah, it saved them thirty percent of their water bill and it saved them twenty percent of the electricity bill because when they were doing it manually, you know, water would be going alarm would go off at say five in the morning or three in the morning to go and turn the pump off, and you know, you roll over and go back to sleep in the next. So really basic, sometimes those really basic um, technologies can have a huge impact. So 20% reduction in electricity, 30% reduction in water from a very, very simple technology, which was they were rolling out for cane farmers and it was applicable for a whole range of other farmers as well. So, but it does show you, I mean, sometimes it's not the most complex technologies that can have, the, can have a huge impact. Absolutely. And, and people can see it kind of straight away, can't they? Yeah. Another, another one I just loved was a young guy, first year uni, um, and he's from Wagga area, but he, um, he started building a startup where the, he, he would, the farmer themselves would fly their drone over the, over the paddock and take, take pictures of the weeds. Yeah. They would send the data file to him, he would analyse it, and then he'd send them back a file that they put into their variable spray, uh, spot spray. And um, and it would it it programmed the sprayer to go and do spot spraying rather than um, area spraying, reduces your reduces your um, your chemical use by about ninety percent. And and as he said to us, you know, I can provide the service anywhere in the world. All they got to do is send me the file. I'll analyze it, which is automated, and send it back to them. It's a service over the internet. Um, brilliant. And that was a uni student just yeah, doing that. First year uni student. Yep. Bloody hell, we're in good hands, aren't we? Yeah, we're very safe. <laughs> I, I do want to ask on that because I think it ties into yeah, what well, kind of one of the big issues that you had, but also you guys are very active with your Horizons program and, and really kind of championing the next gen. So what, what do you reckon, how do we get more people involved in Aussie Ag? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know what, we often talk about, you know, keeping the next generation on the land. And I think that's incredibly important. And we obviously want to do that. I think though, the, there's a big opportunity for us to um, attract people from the city into careers in agriculture. That doesn't necessarily mean people in the city have to move to the country. They can have a career in agriculture and stay in the city, like I think Ollie, you're doing. <laughs> um, it's, not, it's not impossible. 
Um, but the uh, the and I'm 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 thinking of a particular program which one of the schools in Sydney ran um, where when you think about students coming through year year nine year ten year eleven well by repositioning agriculture and aligning it with the values of the students they were able to increase their uptake in ag from ten people students to over hundred students enrolling in agriculture. Because when you think about it, you know, you're in the city and what we're saying to students, you know, have you ever thought about a career where you might be outside, where you might be doing something good for the environment uh, and you might be helping to feed the world? You know, most people would say, yeah, well, I wouldn't mind a bit of that. Um, or uh, so, so I think positioning agriculture to that audience, you know, I mean, we talk about um, digital agriculture, digital technologies. We're going to need people that are good programmers. We're going to need people that understand artificial intelligence. Why? Why not? No, they they may never have stepped on a farm, but boy, oh boy, if we get them excited about how their technology could help farming, I think that I think they I think they would be fantastic contributors. Absolutely, and it's it's funny that uh, that you touch on the piece around yeah people being involved um, in ag from the city because interestingly, Richard Rains was recently on the podcast and he's grew up out near Danny Do. And, but then he, yeah, his kind of parents said, oh, give, you can always come back to the farm, but give, give, uh, give the city a real crack if you can. Uh, anyway, he, um, yeah, he said he's had an incredible career. He's still been able to get out and see people in rural areas, uh, but he's been able to, to also have the best of both worlds where you can build a really successful career and have um, a, an incredible impact on helping feed people um, fr- from the city. So the other, I guess the other thing, the other thought, I have and haven't come from the city. But once you do start building a relationship with farmers and once you start you know, doing the trips to have a look at this and that, it's not a big step then to say, you know what, maybe moving to a regional centre wouldn't be such a bad idea. Um, so, so you know, like I think, I think over time they could play very nicely together when people start seeing just the lifestyle benefits of living in a, in a country city or a country town. Yeah. Um, you know, it is, it is probably the best of both worlds. Absolutely. Yeah, I aspire to it. And I think it's a positive step that even the, the likes of the Atlassians and even Deloitte now are doing remote hires and happy to have anyone from kind of anywhere in Australia, which is, which is pretty cool. And hopefully that's going to come full circle back and, and help ag as well. Yeah. In terms of it, and it's a question I do ask everyone, um, you get the chance to go and chat to some, some Year 10 students or maybe even some Year 10 students at the school you're at uh, in Sydney. What would be your advice to them around why they should consider a career in agriculture? Um, be, oh, this. Um, where do you start? <laughs> um, the, well, the first thing is I think there you want to position your career in an area which is not going to go out of fashion, and and eating food is never going to go out of fashion as far as I can see, or as far as, as far as I can tell. Um, and you want to you honestly you want a career in an area where you can make a difference and when you look at the challenges facing the globe uh, the environmental challenges are huge um you want a, a purposeful career is really i think really what important to the generation coming through and we we offer that in agriculture probably more than anywhere i'll never forget early in my career talking to a consultant and he told me he said oh look i'm leaving i'm going to go, i'm going back to he was from new zealand i said i'm going back to new zealand to work on a farm and he had a very high-paying job. And I said, what are you doing that for? And he said, 
because I just can't get excited about selling toothpaste anymore. <laughs> you know, so so we are lucky in agriculture. We're doing something that is so purposeful, so important to the environment. And I think for the generation coming through, that's important, really important to them. Um, so I'd love to, I'd love to see us promote it along those lines. Can I can I ask just one more question on that? Look, you've been in the industry for a fair while. So what what is keeping you getting up in the morning and staying involved and and really yeah at the front of kind of progressing the industry? Uh, it's the opportunities that you see every day to make things better, whether it's better for the environment and and the tech. I mean, seeing the opportunities that come with new technologies and new ideas and new innovations. It's it's interesting. It's exciting. Um, is a full of optimism, um, and, I, and I love that part of it. Uh, the other part of it is just is the people. It's that who you're working with and who you're working for, and connecting and connecting with them. I mean, at the end of the day, that's pretty important. Thank you for joining us for another episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing a little bit more and getting to know John Harvey at a bit of a different level. As I said at the beginning, I think there's more and more of these people who are coming to the surface that have grown up in urban areas and have come and really made an impact in agriculture and rural Australia, and John is absolutely one of them. Next week, we're sitting down with Charlie Perry, the most recent Australian Xander McDonald Award winner. His story is awesome. He left school went down the corporate consulting path before coming back to the family business. Charlie talks a little bit about leadership, about the business decision-making, some of the challenges uh, they've had as a business as well as one thing that really stuck with me from Charlie's chat is the role that mentors have had, but actually that him and his brother have always had very much an entrepreneurial spirit about them. Look forward to bringing this one to you next week.